everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Do you have a cold? I was in Atlantic City at a conference this yeah. week. I'm struggling. Oh. I'm, I'm too old for this. That's rough. <laughs> you, you have absolutely no right to say you're too old for anything. I when do. you sit across from the table from someone that you call old all the time. I don't call you old. I say that you're aging in front of me. Uh, there is a but I am aging difference. gracefully. Aging gracefully. That's, That's right. okay. Uh-huh. Uh, there is a ton to talk about this week, so I don't want to waste much time. <laughs> we are going to have uh, a couple of guests on the show, Rocky Blyer and director John Fish. Uh, that's going to be fun. Going to have Keith Pompey later to talk Sixers. So we got a packed show, Jeff, don't we? I mean, you must be excited. Ben Simmons is on a roll. He's one for one from three. He had a three the other night. We'll get to that in a little bit and see if uh, Keith could contain his excitement when that <laughs> shot happened like the rest of the arena. You think the press box was jumping up and down? Uh, well, you're not supposed to cheer, but uh, it was pretty loud in the arena, so yeah. we'll see. Why don't we start with a little NFL uh, tough week for the Eagles last week. Defense played well. Offense, not so much. Uh, Eagles end up losing 17-10 to the Patriots. If I would have told you that the Eagles defense held the Patriots to 17 points, would you have taken it? I would have said, no way. You wouldn't have believed it. And I you would have taken have it, it, and you'd have been happy. Right. And that just Except the offense is bad. Inept. It bad. Really right. bad. And it's going to be even tougher this week because Aguilar, who... Did you hear the boos every once in a while with Carson Wentz's throws? Yeah. <sighs> You want to talk about Wentz now? You want to talk about... What do you want to talk you about? You talk about whatever you want. You're, the one, you're the one who's cranky and, and tired, even though I'm the one who's cranky and tired. Yes, you really are cranky yes. and tired. Uh-huh. Uh, it, Wentz didn't have his best day. Uh, neither did his receivers. <laughs> he hasn't had his best year. No, he it's been, hasn't. It's been a rough... Do you think and, as, and as a guy, thanks to you, who, who has got into fantasy, fantasy football and has him as my quarterback, luckily Whatever. I have Whatever. I have Philip Rivers and Jameis Winston. You cannot talk to me oh, at all about oh, fantasy quarterbacks baby. right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, every publication that comes out says you should cut Philip Rivers from yeah. your fantasy team. I had him, and too. Yet, I did cut him. And yet, in that league, I'm 9-2 yeah. and two and don't think my team's that good. Right. But my quarterbacks are Rivers and Winston, so I just don't yeah, think it's going anywhere. Yeah, but you can't be using Rivers. I, I've been I like, How? Was alternated. Well, I went with Winston last week, and even with four interceptions, he still put up twenty. By the points. way, for the Chargers, could it get any worse than the fact that the, that nobody likes them in the city that they play, and and they were supposed to go to the Super Bowl or be a Super Bowl contender this year, and they're putrid, and their quarterback of of fifteen years or so has decided he's going to fall off of a cliff, and his career is basically over. Are you liking it because you were very unhappy with the whole move thing? So are you just enjoying the complete? You mean for the London Chargers? Yeah, you're just not happy with. <laughs> the whole thing um i don't know i don't have any answers on the offense so so can can we talk a little about my favorite team sure the cleveland browns (laughs) (laughs) do do we all not know how i feel about the cleveland browns you've professed your love many times Uh, go ahead about the overhyped team yeah so miles garrett decided that he wasn't going to gracefully go into the uh wild blue yonder didn't take his suspension and and go no uh he is out saying in his appeal that uh, Mason Rudolph uh, said a racist phrase to him under the pile. Under the pile? Yes. Who was in that pile? Uh, Not me. Uh, Pouncey was in that pile. He was. I know he's a stealer, but I'm pretty sure that that Pouncey would not have defended his quarterback had his quarterback said what Miles Garrett's saying he said, which, by the way, I don't think we know yet what it is he said. Uh, no, the Steelers came out with a statement. Mason vehemently denies the report of being accused of using a racial slur during the incident last Thursday night in Cleveland. He'll not discuss his accusation any further. Actually, his attorney discussed it further 
and had some pretty strong comments about uh, how it was almost worse than the injury itself uh, to go after his reputation like that. Especially after the way Mason Rudolph handled it afterwards, and even as recently as Wednesday, was was saying, look, I lost my call too. I know Miles Garrett's a good guy, you know, and I thought he handled it pretty well. And then to find this out because Miles Garrett's going to scratch and claw and see if he can get a suspension reduced. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, stories can change. I don't know what'll happen in the next day or the next couple of days, but it, right now, Miles Garrett's looking worse. Yeah. And I hate to have this be the transition to the next one. I almost want to talk about replay in between before we get to Colin Kaepernick because I don't want to go from one to the other. How about we talk about my love hate relationship with instant replay now? All right. Fine. I can get just as annoyed about this. The fact that you called it your love hate relationship. Tell me exactly when you love instant replay. I know you want I know you want instant replay, but tell me exactly when you when it's actually worked the way that you told me two years ago it was going to work. No, it hasn't. I just want it to be right. It, it, why is that so hard to want them to get it right? They why, are why do I have to be ashamed for wanting them to get it right, Jeff? It's only making it worse because you watch the it play. Is. It's terrible. And then you sit there and watch, five, especially if you're at home watching on TV, you're watching five replays where it's pretty clear. And then they have an expert who's a former ref saying, well, it looks pretty clear that it's this. I don't know what it's, t- <laughs> they come it's back taking on the field and so they go, long. Nope. And they say the exact opposite. Yeah. It, and you know where it's going, right? Where? It's going to cost a team in the, in the playoffs of the Super Bowl. Like, that's going to be the one time when they actually overturn something or do something all season. What, are they, what can they do if they're doing it? You th- they're not intentionally doing it wrong. They're I, just incompetent. I don't know. Man. So what makes you think that anything's going to come? What would be the solution other, it, other than my solution, which is, is get rid of it? Why is it so hard to want them to get it right? Well, you should well, you, want them to get it right. on, like, spotting a ball but, and but stuff. What, though what, I think they should use technology with a chip in the what we're What we're learning is, is that that human error is actually better than computer plus human error. Technology is not benefiting any sports right now. Wasn't the point of technology to replace Maybe t- the human error, though? And by the way, how did it work that, like, tennis, like, 15 years ago, somehow found a way to make the whole thing work where if a ball is, like, a millimeter over the line, they get it right? But In the NFL, the somebody, NFL- like, runs like they were out on a bender last night across the line to try and spot the ball correctly. Right. How, how is that? I don't know. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry, and they can't. I just don't understand Tennis how is the they only can sport continue to get it so wrong. Okay, uh, I, I just I can't fathom it. <laughs> and and I'll say that I was wrong. I so guess, is it but, just your hate relationship now? Are, are you willing to remove the love from your love hate relationship? Well, if this is how they're going to do it. Then yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, if you've had two years to watch this, no, not of not of reviewing like pass interference. That's no. a whole nother level of of bad of, of terrible. Yeah, exactly. It really is, uh-huh. and it if you're going to get it right, I guess I don't mind you breaking up the flow of the game as much. But now they do it and they get it wrong and they're breaking up the flow of the game. Who so was, who the was it that actually said, look, the, the the people in the front office and in the repay area in New York need to be replaced. Somebody oh, actually said um, that this week. It was a player yeah. uh, who who didn't get I, the call. I, 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 I think the answer is is they should just get rid of that division of the NFL. Well, we'll see. You can talk to John Runyon about it. <laughs> see what he has to <laughs> or say. Or James Thrash. Or anybody else, apparently former James Eagles, Thrash are really was, good at James it. James Thrash. So the whole Eagles front office, right. the whole Eagles are like the NFL front office. James yeah. Thrash was actually the one in there in the appeal review with Miles Garrett. Yeah. <laughs> he was the one that Garrett uh-huh. said... Uh, 
Rudolph said racist things. Yeah, that was not good. So Colin Kaepernick had a tryout last Saturday, Jeff. Or uh, the he latest was supposed Kaepernick to have a tryout with yeah. the NFL. Uh-huh. And then an hour before, he didn't have a tryout with the NFL. He Waste had a tryout time. on a high school field. Waste of time. Um, okay, keep going. What, what happened? A waste of time. It was all a waste of time. Think about this. What, would, what exactly was the point of this? Other than the NFL was trying to out-PR Kaepernick, who tried to out-PR the I NFL. think the NFL was trying to save face because they didn't get sued again. <laughs> no, they, well, they were trying to get him to sign a release is what they were trying to do. They yeah. were hoping that he would go to this thing and say, they'd say, see, look, we brought all these teams here, and now you can't sue us anymore. But they already had a settlement. In- I thought it was an injury waiver. It was a different release? Yeah, I don't know. But I, all I know is that it's nonsense because at this, the season is two-thirds over. What exactly would be the point now of bringing him in? Any team, no contenders bringing him in at this point. And even if they did, he wouldn't get reps. If he's going to come into where? The Miami Dolphins? What what exactly is going to happen? It takes weeks to learn the playbook and then to get the reps. And you're not getting the first team reps. So what is the point in having him? It's just a distraction. Separate from all of that. We get to next season. Yeah. Is he good enough to be a quarterback in the NFL? You know what? Because I think he is. Well, I have seen some of the other people on well, the field in the NFL. Well, hold on. I know you're saying that, but what are you basing that on? You're basing that but on... I believe It's been okay, three I'm years saying, since he stepped on a okay, field. I, I overstated that. Right. I believe he should be given the opportunity in a camp to show Right, it. and then they should have done this circus in the offseason. Yeah. Like, I don't know whether he's good enough, but neither do any of these teams. Right, so Nobody what was the knows. point? So somebody's got to give him a shot to figure it out. Well, nobody has to give him a shot. No, but in order but, to know... But, if they were going to do this particular circus, they should have done this particular cir- circus in Last the off summer. season. Yeah. Or, or I mean, look, you can't go back in time. So at least then say, hey, we're going to do this for you. And we'll just like you know, come to the combine. There's lots of different ways you could have done this without this being a disaster. And what it turned into was each side was just trying to one up the other side. Wow. It had nothing to do with the workout. I don't think anybody came out looking good from it. No. Uh, and all you got was one video of. Colin Kaepernick throwing a deep ball to somebody and then giving a, a little post-game press conference, which uh, I didn't really think helped his case very much, frankly, from a PR perspective. As somebody who does communications, I, I did not think. Okay, that- so somebody who does communications, explain. Now, Colin Kaepernick's just one guy, okay? Explain to me how the NFL communications team is doing such a disaster with this. I have no idea. They have very talented people there who just can't get out of their what own was way. The, what was the upside for, for them doing this? Again, Only eight teams showed up, I think, right? well, they had 25 teams apparently committed to go to the Falcons facility. Right. Eight teams went to the high school football field. Now, you can believe that or not. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think this is about PR. I think that this is, the NFL is afraid they are going to get sued again. For, for what at, this time? For not, for continued collusion to not give him an opportunity. You can't, it, look, if they settled, for, there would have to be new acts of collusion. I think that there can't I, believe, I haven't seen his settlement agreement, but the, as, as, I think that you want to make this the legal settlement. That you have third and fourth string quarterbacks, and there's a particular reason why he's not getting a call. I'm not saying it's accurate, but I think the NFL is trying yeah, to protect but, themselves. But, but, but as as the lawyer by day here, I'm telling you that if if they settled this based on the collusion claims, there's usually a release in there of all claims up until that moment. And my guess is if they had half a brain, they would have something in there that says, you, you can't sue us for collusion anymore. I don't know if it would hold up, but you would think it would be in there. I don't know what they did, but there's no collusion at this point. The guy has been out of the league for three years. And he was a backup before I think he went they out. They were of the trying league. to give their teams cover to be able to take a look. 
if one team brought him into their camp, they'd get all the media pressure. If the NFL does it, it's on the shield and it's not on the teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I think they were trying to facilitate an avenue. Now, I don't think that Colin Kaepernick took advantage of that. I think he used it for his own platform to make his own statement. And everybody can debate the merits of what that statement was or whether it was effective. But in the end, I think both sides ended up losing. Why don't we leave it there and we'll get to our interview. All right. All right, we are thrilled to be joined by four-time NFL champion and Vietnam veteran Rocky Blyer, along with producer, director, and filmmaker from SC-featured ESPN Films, John Fish. Guys, how you doing today? We're, well, I'm fine. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> we're wonderful. We're, we're talking to you. Uh, this, is a, yeah, that's right. this is an exciting thing for us to be doing. We appreciate you joining us. Yeah, and as somebody who yeah. actually lived in Pittsburgh, Rocky, it's, a, it's an honor to actually have you on the air. Now, I oh, don't, well, thanks. I don't have the accent, where? though. <laughs> no, that's all right. Where? Where in Pittsburgh? Uh, I was Squirrel Hill. Ah, very good. Yeah, Excellent. He, he did yeah. Uh, some of his college time out there and uh, speaks very highly of the area. Uh, I know he's very excited when uh, we were able to connect with you guys. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Obviously, together, you guys have, have created this new documentary that's out there um, covering the sort of the 50th anniversary, Rocky, of you returning to Vietnam. I didn't know if maybe we could go backwards a little bit before we go forwards to get to how this all happened. Does that work? Well, that works fine. You know, actually, it's, uh, it, it's not, it's all, it's all John Fish. It's all John um, Fish. This it is, it is. And it, it was an idea that he had 10 years ago when we had first met, he contacted me about going back to Vietnam uh, at the time. But it's like everybody else, you know, schedules and uh, getting talent and, you know, being able to do that. And uh, and it quite didn't work out uh, at, at that moment. So we did a piece at the wall in Washington, D.C. But it was always in the back of John's mind. It resurfaced and then it went away again. And then it uh, resurfaced. What was that, John, in 2017 again? Yeah, it was, and, it was, it was 2017. I, you know, I always remember because it was the opening round of the NCAA tournament, and I didn't want to bother Rocky because I knew Notre Dame had a uh, had a big game with Princeton. So, um, <laughs> so I believe it was 2017 when I called them because I was driving by the National Archives where I had done all all of our initial research, and I said, "Rock, I, you know, sorry to bother you. I know you're locked in for the game today, but um, <laughs> but I got a question for you." <laughs> so and, that's uh, right. Yeah, and then I said, um, you know, you don't have to answer right now. Take a week, take a day, take a month, but um, you know, give me a call back. And I had kept all of all of our material over the ten years of. This going to sound very antique to everybody, but the Manila folders were in my file cabinet <laughs> in my drawer at my desk. You're <laughs> aging yourself. All the, all the research and. Um, about a month and a half later, I got a text, I believe, on a Sunday morning, and it was rock, and it was, let's go. All right, well, I, that was like, wow. I have two questions for you about how this got started, or at least how Rocky said yes. First off, uh, John, did you tell him that you went to Michigan before you asked the <laughs> Notre Dame guy to do this? And then, and then, and then, second after that, I mean, I'd like to hear Rocky's response too. But after that, was Rocky? Were you reluctant to do this? And is that why, partly, why it took so long? <laughs> no, no, no. The first part about Michigan, I didn't care at the time. 
because Notre Dame you know, didn't play Michigan. <laughs> uh, you know, when I was there, that wasn't a big rivalry at all. You know, so I I didn't care. Kind of, kind of then became was after me. <clears throat> You know, and so, but Michigan cheats a lot. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Rocky, Rocky, you don't uh, understand. That, that, was not, the, that was not the reason why I didn't go back. But uh, in 2017, <laughs> I also, I, uh, I, had, um, I, I had my knees replaced. Um, and so it, just, it, it was just, the, it was, you know, timing. Trying to timing. get schedules together and, uh, and and everybody when you got all these moving parts, uh, but eventually, eventually we did. I mean, eventually we yeah, got it, uh, and, and we for, got it, and, and we got it together. For people who don't know your story as well, leading up to all this, you you were an NCAA champion at Notre Dame, drafted by the Steelers, then drafted again three months later by the United States Army, and went to serve in in Vietnam. You were wounded three months after you were there. Uh, suffering a, a shot in the thigh and a grenade blast to your foot. And then you have this sort of comeback journey that I found rather inspiring. I know that you've turned, gone into a motivational speech or, speaker, but I didn't know if you could talk a little bit about the journey. We'll talk about going back to Vietnam and what you saw there in a second, but maybe the journey once you came back, the struggles that you had, the note that you got, the postcard that you got from Art Rooney, and how that sort of changed things around for you. Well, I, you know, I think I think at, at that time, and let's go back all those many years. You know, the unknown was, uh, you know, whether whether or not I could come back and play. I mean, uh, so I had damage. To, basically, the the majority of the damage was to my right foot, to, to tendons and to nerve endings, uh, and you know, broken bones. And so, if you think about the foot, I don't, I forgot. John probably knows this. How many? bones that are in your uh, in, in your foot and how all the nerves connect um, and how important it is you know and I always tell people I said you know think about you know you get up uh, <laughs> you get up in the middle of the night and you stub your toe you you go man that hurts you know and so um, well just multiply that a thousand times and oh. so that's that what took place now given now there's a couple things that happened which was I was not a very highly touted uh, running back uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was the 417th person picked in the draft. I was a 16th round draft choice in 1968, coming into the uh, into the Steeler training camp at that time, and um, and, and, and through the grace of God, made the team um, as a special teams kind of guy and, and within a running back uh, position. Uh, and so then I get drafted and I go to Vietnam and we get wounded twice as the story goes and so on. Uh, and then uh, the prognosis, I mean, the prognosis was not, prognosis was um, that I wouldn't come, that I wouldn't be able to come back and play, at least by one of the physicians. Um, when I was in Tokyo and asked him about um, my injuries and he said, You'll do the things that normal people do. Don't expect to get back on the gridiron because of the damage that had been done, um, and you just won't have the flexibility nor strength to be able to push off and run as you should in the <laughs> in the National Football League. What he did know was I couldn't run to begin with, so <laughs> it really did make that big of a, a, a change in my speed. Um, but but also but also it, you know it kind of and I tell people I said you know you get that 
you know, from uh, an authority, you know, and it kind of just it gives you no hope and it kind of sucks that hope right out. And um, interestingly, as part of the story goes, is that a couple days later, I get a postcard in the mail. And it's a simple, simple postcard. It's got two lines on it said, Rock, team's not doing well. We need you. Art Rooney. Well, I mean, they didn't need me, but it was kind of like a little sense of hope, you know, somebody cares and, you know, and so on. It was a little beacon for me uh, to be able to then, you know, go through the process. And it is a process, as we well know. Every athlete that you've talked to, uh, and not necessarily athletes, but just growing up as kids, you know, is that how many times we've been in the backyard, played organized sports, played neighborhood sports, played pickup games, you know, and you, you know, you, you, you stove your finger or you sprain your ankle, you know, or you break a bone or you scrape your knees. And, you know, and so there's the process and the mental process as well. You go to the doctors, see what the doctor has to say. Then there's usually some therapy, you know, and then it's a little rehab and then you go back out and play again. And so you, a week later, you find yourself playing again or whatever it might be. So it's that same kind of a mental attitude, and from my perspective, as simple as it may sound, that kind of got me through that process. It takes time. you got to heal. you got to go through it. Um, and I think the underlying thought for me, at least, was <clears throat> there are only things that I can control. Whether or not I have an opportunity to play sports thereafter or get a shot thereafter really isn't up to me. It's up to then the ownership and or coaching staff of the Pittsburgh Steelers. All I can do is do what I need to do to hopefully get myself in a position um, to be able to compete. And so, you know, and I, I guess maybe I never wanted to get to a point in my life where you look back and say, well, what if? What if you would have ran more, lifted more, or trained more, or whatever it is? So you just kind of put yourself through that 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 process, knowing that it's going to take time and it doesn't happen overnight. And uh, and fortunately, you know, I was able to buy some time uh, to be able to do that. Well, you so that was you know you eventually defy the odds and not only buy your time you. Uh, become a star on the Steel Curtain Steelers teams of the 70s. You're the only war veteran to have four Super Bowl rings. Uh, could you ever imagine the success that you would have had given where you were both mentally and physically when you, you came back from the war at that time? No, you're right. I mean, you. I, I don't, you know, I. yes, you're right. I mean, I, I couldn't project that. I didn't understand or, you know, could say that that would happen to me. But it's like life, really, in all honesty, as we go through life. How did we get to where we are, you know, to today? Um, you know, and it's usually you have an idea or, or you got a desire, you know, and you find an, an opportunities, you know, to either to be able to get you to where where that is. Um, and so, you know, and I see more often driving forces in different different walks of life, different aspects of life. Mine just happened to be in the football. Of course, I didn't expect it to be as successful as it was or to be able to play on a team uh, that would um, have that success or playing, you know, four Super Bowls. Really, you know, in my heart of hearts, all I wanted to do was just kind of play. I just wanted to you know, uh, get that opportunity um, to finish what had started my rookie year um, and see where life takes you in that in that regards. So fast forward to almost the present. 
and you and John are reconnecting to talk about you returning to Vietnam. What are the emotions that go through your mind as you think about going to the place that that you served um, and and that you were wounded? Well, you know, it's <laughs> you may believe this or may not believe this, and I told John, I told John this. And said, over John, and over know. again. <laughs> and yeah, over and over, and I'm telling them again. Those Notre Dame guys he have said, to repeat themselves. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, by the way, na- national na- national champion, too. We we left that out. Yeah. Most decorated well, that's sports figure to come out of the Vietnam Hey, jo- no, John, we didn't, we didn't leave that out. That was on purpose. Anyway, back to the story. Back to me. Anyway, back, back, back to you, Rocky. To <laughs> <laughs> so I told John, I said, John, listen, I don't, I don't know what to expect, and I don't know what you expect on this trip. I said, unlike the majority of combat veterans who returned from Vietnam and had to repress their feelings because of the social impact, the way the American people thought about the veterans as tied into that war it was not pleasant. They were not praised. They were not uh, thanked. They were spat upon, called baby killers. As time, there, you know, is <laughs> you were told to please change into civilian clothes so that um, uh, when you deplane de- uh, de- uh, or get back home that you won't have uh, the, con- the, the, the conflict that may arise. You know, so what does that do to, uh, you know, to a guy who just served, uh, you know, 13 months in, in Vietnam and not a whole lot for his support? I said, I come back and I become a story. Whether or not I make the Steelers, it's a story. And you know how media loves a story. Here's a skit. No, we know nothing about that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, tell this, and tell the story. Here he is. And so because of it, it becomes somewhat of a catharsis because they ask me questions. How do you feel? Well, you know, what's it like? How can you make a comparison? And to some degree, put me on a little pedestal. So whether or not you um, <laughs> liked the, the conflict in Vietnam, you know, is that at least uh, at that time you, you were getting recognized for being a veteran and, you know, a little pat on the back and, you know, and so on and so on unlike the majority of people. So I said I had this opportunity then to not only tell my story, but have a catharsis, but I've been telling this story for 40 years. You know, so I don't think there's a whole lot left uh, to be able to tell from an emotional point of view. So I do not know what to expect or what you should expect uh, that's going to happen over here. It's an experience, and so we'll go, go through it at that time. Well, so anybody, and, and I will, I will, I'll tell you that um, the, the thing about me as a filmmaker and and about that is that was fine for Rocky to tell us, John, don't expect anything. I don't know what to expect, and there's really nothing to expect because we just turn the cameras on and see what happens. Um, it's not a lot of what we do on on my, on our end is we just we document. I mean, we're we're documenting. Uh, what what our trip was going to be, but the there was no real expectations. It was we're going to do this, but let's see what happens. And so that's how we went into it, and we respected Rocky saying that, and we understood that he was didn't feel even at the airport as he was getting on the plane in South Bend, saying you know guys, I 
don't, you know, there's nothing here, but uh, okay, let's go. And that was fine. And then what you see in our film is what takes place, which was, um, was completely unexpected. Um, and uh, I don't want to spoil it, but um, if you do get a chance to see our film, uh, it was an it was an amazing and powerful um, powerful journey. Yeah, I did get a chance to see the film, and, and the the emotions not only Rocky seeing your your emotions, but even even uh, Tom Rinaldi's emotions um, and the emotions of of the person that you met while you were over there um, are are touching and will stay. With, I think with anybody who sees the movie because of how real they are. Um, how now that you've experienced it. How, how do you feel about the experience um, as a whole? The experience, I, 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 I should say this. It was a great experience. I mean, I am glad that I went. I'm glad that I had the uh, experience I had over there, uh, the emotional impact that it had, um, and that I'd gone through it. Because in retrospect, as I think about that, it really gave me a little insight, a little insight on what um, possible post-traumatic stress, mental illness, um, uh, trauma, and how it affected affects human beings, and and uh, and how it affected uh, uh, our returning veterans, not only them but continuous today. Uh, and so I never, you know, I people talk about post-traumatic stress. What's that like? I have no idea. People talk about uh, emotional breakdowns. What's that like? I don't know. People talk about mental pain. I don't know what that's like. But through that experience, it gave me a little insight of uh, when I had an emotional reaction that it overtook my whole body. It wasn't just a psychological thing. But it's over, I mean, just from an emotional, from the depths of my soul. And I have to say that it, it just came up through my whole body um, and of the changes that had taken place. And I, and I didn't understand where it came from or what happened or, or what, it, what it was. My only retrospect on it, in, to put it in perspective, was 50 years of change. As we were driving to Hep Duck, where we had shot the film in the rice paddy out of Da Nang, which is about an hour and a half drive. And that whole area used to be just jungle, rice paddies, villages, uh, hooches. Um, but now as I'm driving and, and, it, and, and I didn't think about it as I'm just taking it in subconsciously is the, there's roadways, there's cars, there's motorbikes, um, there's economic uh, growth. Uh, there's not villages, there's townships, there's buildings that are going on. Um, and all that sh- should have changed in, but in my <laughs> realm, it was, you know, f- a 50 year jump. Um, and, um, that I just thought, oh, okay, fine. So I, I looked over to the left as we're driving and so what's that hillside over there? And they said, well, that's LZ West. Now, LZ West was a landing zone where we worked from. And we used to take sweeps uh, down off that hillside into the valley. And there's no more valley because it's all built up. And I thought, wow, okay, fine. And so 
subconsciously that was the changes that had taken place that I hadn't really come into um, um, reference to. Um, and so when Rinaldi asked me the questions, how do I feel in that rice paddy, you know, all those changes, I guess, overcame me and, 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 and I had this emotional breakdown. And I couldn't understand why until I thought about it days later. Maybe that was the reason why. Uh, and so then the main question is, if it would have changed anyway, you know, what did we do? What did we do? As American you know, soldiers in Vietnam, um, we lost the war. Now, I'm saying that only because it wasn't a victory. I mean, we, we withdrew um, <clears throat> and we lost 58,000 soldiers in that conflict. And the question was why? If nothing changed, it's still a communist state. It's a police state. Um, you know, we have great relationships. They love Americans. Um, but then the question is why or hey, what? Or a treaty, you know, so some, so it, 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 so that became the emotional impact. Hey, John. So the interesting thing there, if I may, yep. is that um, uh, John Fish being the uh, ultimate producer did not want to, you know, pass uh, an opportunity that would make his film extra special. And so as I'm lying well, there... Hey, jo well, John. If I'm lying there, I'm lying there out like John. they think I was dead. John, he I passed out. Yeah, you got heat stroke. And John, he mentions you. What was this experience like for you to go along and, and watch this? And, and was it what you expected in those 10 years of the idea that you had for the concept? No, none. none. And, and what, what Rocky was about to say was, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was nothing any of us, the entire crew, had ever experienced before. And I will be, I will tell you, and I'll just tip, tip my cap to, to, the, to the crew. Uh, by the way, an entire Big Ten crew, including Kyle, our, our fixer, who was uh, both fluent in Vietnamese and also fluent in Penn State football, um, <laughs> as well as my camera crew, who uh, the camera crew that are out of Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, can go all day about Jonathan Taylor and the Badgers. So you surround uh, the Rocky anyways, with a whole Big Ten team, basically. Right? Well, you know, it's just kind of how we travel, right? We all get each other. We're, and still couldn't tackle my bet. <laughs> but, no, in, in, all, in all seriousness, um, it wasn't anything we expected. I mean, no one had um, it, no one had ever experienced what you see in the film, ever, ever, ever in their career. And you're talking about Tom Rinaldi, um, you know, camera crews that are that are longtime staff crews of ESPN. We're we have all done our share of stories all over the world, and what happened in the rice paddy, what happened in the Rocky, was something that we had never seen before, that we didn't expect, but that we were prepared for, and fortunately were able to handle um, uh, appropriately. And you see it all in the film. We didn't. We decided to. You know, we talked to Rocky right away, um, and we decided to – we wanted to treat it right. But what you see is, is raw. Um, that's pretty raw footage. You don't – you know, there's no it's, 
it's how it was. You're in the field with us, and there's a power to that that uh, that often doesn't come through in TV. Uh, not not doesn't come through, but it, to allow that moment to just be that moment, and you live that moment um, and those moments in the rice paddy with uh, with Rock and Tom and and all of us. You'll see you'll see me, um, which you never do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know you see you'll see me. You see you see our camera guys. You see. You see what what went on, um, uh, you know, 49 years to the day of that Rocky was wounded. We were back in that paddy, um, you know, back in the Hepduck Valley, and um, it's it's pretty powerful. So, how can people see this and experience it for themselves? That's a great question. <laughs> we are um, <laughs> we. Spinning it forward a little bit, um, we had the good fortune that we won a film festival. Um, we Before we put it on television, we won a film festival, the Los Angeles Shorts International Film Festival. And what we didn't know then, what we now know now, in the middle of July, is that that made us eligible for an Academy Award, which oh. was unbelievable um and something that uh none none of us had experienced and so it's been in a bunch of film festivals um it's been on tv we aired it on the 50th anniversary of rocky's uh wounding um august 20th uh this past summer we aired it we aired it recently for veterans day uh we are working and watch espn for for an announcement uh, we are working on a place for people to see it, to be able to, be able to access it. Um, and I'm actually working on that today. So well, we, I don't, we hope don't you keep us it, updated. Hopefully by later today, maybe you can add, add to this, uh, and I'm glad this is being taped. Um, we, we will hopefully have an announcement as to where you can find it. We will make sure will to, to, to get it out there so. for people as well. And uh, yeah. Rocky, first, thank you for your service. Uh, second, thank you both for the time and for giving us a little window into what this experience was like for you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, no, no, it was a great experience. And I want to thank John for being so persistent that we got it done, you know. And, uh, uh, and so it was, uh, well. it was, it, it was terrific. Well, wow. even to the we, point uh, that John was so concerned, I was lying on the ground. He was so concerned, he was over me. But being the producer, he kept saying, "Did you get that shot? Do a close up, please. Rock, well, are you okay? Always, <laughs> always <laughs> the professional. I, 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 I'll tell you this: we did not know the cameras were rolling. We had two cameras. <laughs> did not know the no. second well, camera was I rolling. I think you guys got until long after. I think you guys got everything in. <laughs> We really appreciate the time. Hope you have a great day, and uh, look forward to everybody seeing it, okay? All right. Thank you. We'll talk to you. Talk Thank to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. On the line uh, from the last interview that we just taped, and then we'll go right into you ta- right now, okay. okay? All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Jeff, that was a pretty cool story with uh, Rocky and John. Uh, <laughs> I could listen to them talk all day. So we're, now we're going to go from an amazing story about a Pittsburgh Steeler to a guy that's uh, spent a little time in Pittsburgh. That's a pretty good tradition. You like, transition you, you right like that? that you yeah, had. but you just ruined it. I did. I did. <laughs> Keith Pompey, are you there? Says Jeff calls me out with uh, ruining my latest uh, transition right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. How you guys doing? <laughs> we're doing well. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. Can't complain. Jeff's biggest question is, the other night when you were in the press box, did they go crazy like the arena did for Ben Simmons' three-pointer? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you know, no, 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 nah, nah, no. I told him. I thought everybody would have kept it cool. Uh, so, so yeah. he's now, so he's now one for one. Is he going to want to shoot it again, or is he going to want to just stick with him going a thousand? I would. <laughs> Keith's done. He's dropped the mic. He's you out. You know what? I would. I would do one more so I can say, "Hey, I'm a career fifty percent three point shooter." Let's let's talk about where this team is right now a little bit. So for, so first off, Keith, what is it about this team that every game is a struggle? That, that that with this much talent, that somehow even the teams that aren't as good, they're just struggling to get wins? You know, to me, it, the chemistry just isn't there yet. And, and two things, like today at practice, you know, uh, we got word that um, – Two guys are going to be injured. I mean, excuse me, two guys are questionable. You know, one is Josh Richardson. You know, the, the other one is uh, Trey Burke. So it seems like whenever you say to yourself, like, okay, we're going to get these guys on the court, we're going to get them all together, playing well, playing together, getting, you know, cohesiveness, then they're injured and they don't practice. You know, and, and I think that has a lot to do with it. I also think that, you know, when you think to this. They have Tobias Harris playing out of position. I thought he was a three, but right now I'm thinking that in this system he's better suited as a power forward. And Al Horford, you know, is better suited to be a center. So when they play with Embiid, you know, they they take a hit. Now they're going to take a hit anyway, you know, just because Embiid's on the floor and you know that's what's going to happen. But they just look out of position. And I think that that's part of the problem. Like this team Brett Brown has a job where he has to figure everything out and make sure that these guys are in the right spot. And right now, you know, lack of cohesion due to injuries and that they're just not in the right position. And and that's the reason why every game to me is a struggle and they're beating teams just because they have better players on the floor and that comes out in the end. But, you know, it's just that is a struggle because of the two things I talked about. You literally just said the thing that I've been pulling my hair out about, which which is Tobias Harris pl- playing the four, which is it seems like what he's doing when he needs to be the guy that's out shooting. Is it the system or is it Tobias that's causing him to end up playing like a four? You know, I think it's the system. I also think that Tobias, if, if Tobias has a fault, um, you know, Tobias is such a, a great teammate. You know, he's the type of guy that when you interview him and you say, Tobias, now you know you like this position, right? You like you get to be the man. And he's like, yeah, that's good, but, you know, I'm all about team ball. And you're like, huh? <laughs> you know, I'm all about team, you know, whoever has the hot hand. And I think that Tobias needs to be a little bit more selfish. But when you look at it, you know, Tobias is a matchup problem defensively for a traditional power forward. And if you switch him on the center, where the center has to guard him, it's the same thing. Well, you lose a lot of that nowadays when Tobias has to go up against a wing or a guard. You know, and then you see that where his athleticism or his the things that he's not as mobile in, you know, they start to stick out. So I think that's the problem, and he's better suited to me, I think, at a four because of that but yeah he has to be a little bit more I want to say selfish you know he has to be I'm the guy I know it's Joel I know this has been but I'm the guy that has to take these last second shots and be willing to do it how does Brett Brown manage this what's seemingly a 
roster construction issue where he has challenges when Embiid and Horford are both on the floor with Tobias because everybody's deferring and and it just doesn't seem to be fitting. What does he do right now? You know, it's, it's weird. Like the thing is for Brett Brown, I, you know, it, it's, it's going to ha- he's going to have to like come up and hurt a couple people's feelings, so to speak, and say, "Hey, look, Joe, you know, I, I get it. This is your team, but we need more production from the other guys. We're going to have to start running some things through them." But see, right now, see if if you're Brett Brown. And if you got a guy like Tobias Harris and you have a guy like Al Horford, let's say Tobias is making not let's say it's true he's making 180 million over the next five, over this five years, right? Al Horford is making at least 97 over four, right? So or three. So um, the thing, well, four, excuse me. So the thing is, you'll say to them like, hey, you guys are getting paid a lot, you know. Well, I like the fact that you guys keep deferring to Joel as long as we win. Now, you guys may have uh, miserable stats, but as long as we win, I'm happy because Joel is happy. You understand what I'm saying? And these other two guys aren't going to start complaining. But once, if they start complaining about their lack of production or Al Horford not being in, in the right spot to to excel, you know what I mean? And he's like, his statistically, he's not playing well statistically with Embiid. That's when Brett Brown could have a problem. And the problem could be like, how do I make all these people happy? But right now, with their personalities, Tobias is an Al, they're two guys who are just happy to go along, you know? But if it was like a Jimmy Butler or someone else, then Brett would really have a tough time. Oh, boy. Yeah, that would be a nightmare. Um, Speaking of uh, uh, unhappiness, um, last night the Sixers gave away, looked like gave away the game early, and and this was against the Knicks on Wednesday night. Um, There were a lot of boos. Uh, Did that in any way drive the team, or is the team cognizant of the number of, of people that are now booing and getting frustrated by them? You know, it's weird because let's think about it, man. Every time you go there, like every third game, they're getting booed by the fans. (laughs) I mean, so it's starting to become the norm. You know, I think they know that they need to play better. And I also think they realize that, you know, even though the fans are going to boo them, you know, they're going to win these games and they're going to have another game. And then all of a sudden everyone's going to stop. Everyone's going to forget about how they were booing them and talking about how great they play. But, you know, the way they were getting booed, I mean, is, is is real. Like, people know that, let's face it, I mean, after the game you're hearing, yeah, they played the Boston Celtics tough. They played this other team tough. True. But talking about the New York Knicks. But there's no way that this, that they should have been close to the Sixers or that the Sixers should have been down by 17 to this team. So, you know, I – I agree with the team, with the fans. They deserve to be booed at that booed at that particular time. So, talk about the bench a little bit because it seems like they've gotten more contributions than, than people have figured. The roles that James Ennis have played and Mike Scott. Uh, I'm still not sure whether Furkan Korkmaz should get so much time. Can you can you guide me on any of these things? I mean, Furkan. <coughs> excuse me. The thing about Furkan is Furkan is. And there was a point in time that Furkan was being one of their most productive guys in the perimeter. I mean, if you really want to be real about it, I mean, 
I mean, Josh Richardson was missing a lot of shots. Ben Simmons wasn't taking shots. And they would give Furkan fourth quarter minutes, and he was producing. Now, the thing about Furkan is he has to take that next step because teams are starting to defend him a different way. Before, they were leaving him open. He was just spotting up and shooting. Now they're coming after him. So he's going to have to be able to put the ball on the floor and get his own shot. So that's the thing. Now, until he does that, you can argue and say, why is he on the court? But at the same time, who else was giving them giving them production? You know, he, he he did win one game for him. In regards to James Ennis, you know, James Ennis isn't a sexy type of guy, but he's one of their only like two way players they have out there. A guy who can you know hit some occasional shots and a guy who will defend. Now he doesn't always look good because sometimes he's overmatched, but he's out there trying. So when you look at another guy on the bench, let's just say a Matisse Thibel, who I like a lot, you know, right now he's a better defender, but offensively he's not going to give you as much as James. You know, and then when you look at a Trey Burke, he'll give you offensive stuff, but he's not going to give you on a defensive end. So when you look at a James Ennis, you know, he's the most (laughs) consistent two-way player. And then Mike Scott, a guy you talked about as well, you know, I mean, he's like, you know, although he's not the sixth man, you know, he's not one of the first guys to come out or come into the game. He's probably their most dependable guy on there, you know, and I think that, you know, like last night's game, you know, Mike Scott, I mean, the Sixers won. Everybody's talking about LeBron. I mean, excuse me, I called him LeBron. Ooh. Ooh. Everybody's talking about Ben Simmons, you know, making that three-pointer. <laughs> and everybody's talking about the things he did. But we would be lying to ourselves if we said that Mike Scott didn't win the game for him. Like, his, if, they, if Mike Scott wouldn't have made those threes, the Sixers, you know, would have been walking off the court with their heads down and, and we would have been ripping them today saying, how did they lose to the Knicks? So, you know, those three guys right now are the most consistent three or most consistent and dependable reserves that they have. You know, that's just how it is. Now, would you say that it will have to get better for them to win a championship? Of course it will. But as we speak right now, those are the most consistent guys that they have. All right, so we have coming up uh, the Spurs, who are on their longest losing streak under the Popovich uh, regime, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what do you expect to see in the Sixers-Spur game? You know what? It depends on if, if Trey Burke can play and if Josh Richardson can play. If they can, I don't see the Sixers winning that game. Um, and I know some people may say, you know, well, Trey Burke missed the first seven games, the Sixers won the first five. But when you lose him and you lose Josh Richardson, your starting two guard, who is your best um, starter, like on-ball defender in the starting lineup, you know, because I think that with DeMar DeRozan and and Rudy Gay, you know, I, I think that that's just a matchup problem. Like one of them are going to – like even if he plays, I think one of those guys are going to have a, a, a good game. You just have to contain the, the other one. But I think if you don't have Josh Richardson playing, who will be able to contain the one, then I think the Sixers could be in trouble. I, I really do. You know, I, I think that – you know, the, the Spurs are coming in here. They're not laying down. They're going to be, you know, fired up. They're desperate to get a win. And I think that uh, it could be tough for the Sixers. 
All right. Hope everybody follows you at Pompeii on Sixers. Always appreciate you checking in and giving us some time, Keith. Thanks so much. Man, thanks for having me on, fellas. Have a great one, man. Jeff, uh, every time I bring Keith on, I, I don't know whether I feel better or worse about this team, but I definitely learned something. I was really surprised when he said that uh, he thought that there was going to be a loss at home to the Spurs who have lost seven games in a row. Yeah. That's, wow. That's the state of I, it, where it, this team is right it, now. It is. You know, it, it's... By the way, they're forget, nine and five. <laughs> I know, but you you for, you do forget that Demar Rosen is on that team. I, like I do feel bad. San for San Antonio has been historically bad for the players that they have over wow. there. Let's uh, get into a little college football news. Uh, off the field, some crazy stuff, and on the field, some crazy stuff. Last week's games, Tua with a really ugly injury, his hip. Uh, he's had surgery, different predictions on returning time. Yeah, I, I saw Todd McShay ch- moved him down on his board from the first quarterback taken and taken like in the top three to the third quarterback taken. I already thought I already 13. thought he was going to be moved down. I thought Joe Burrows would jump him as a quarterback prospect. Uh, yeah, but, but, but you got to th- remember, Joe Burrows really only done it for one year. I know. I still, Joe has done it for three years. But he's years. more the traditional type quarterback that that pro quarterbacks like. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on whether two is re- fully recovered. You know, there's the there's one that says he'll be fully recovered three months. There's some that say six months or more. If it's six months or more, then you're talking maybe into training camp next year. And if he's likely going to a bad team, that's going to want him to play right away. That's uh, and, and the other thing people don't realize, they go, big deal, it's a hip. You generate your power as a quarterback through your hips. hips. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with, with batters in baseball. Is people don't realize how important the hip is. Uh, big games this week. Uh, one of the biggest games, uh, Ohio State, Penn State, also has a side story. Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford told reporters Tuesday he deleted his social media accounts after receiving death threats and vulgar messages after the first loss at Minnesota. So he, he, I got two comments here. First of all, I don't think college athletes should have social media accounts, N- not because of them, but because of exactly this. Uh, I feel I mean, you know, I feel strongly about this because there was another incident involving the Penn State Michigan game and a wide receiver for Michigan dropped the ball in the end zone that would have tied up that game. He got death threats. And I, I got to tell you, anybody that is threatening an athlete because they made an error in a game is ridiculous. Anybody that is threatening a kid, and these are kids, okay? The fact that you would send any type of threat, let alone a death threat, you are a sick human being. It is just a game. And if you don't think, no matter how good or bad you may think a player is, have I have seen very few college athletes, little professional athletes, who aren't giving it their all. No, exactly. So why would you torture somebody like this? I, I don't know. On the, on the game side of things, it really is the only game that matters. ESPN Game Day is going to be in Columbus. The winner... It's the you, only game that's really two ranked teams, let alone two top 10 ranked teams. It is. And so this is for the Big Ten East. The winner of this will likely go to the Big Ten Championship game. For Ohio State, it means a, a shot at the national championship playoff. Penn State's got a Do you think Penn real... State can get back into the top four if they beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten championship? They got to they got to do both of those, and they still got they, they need, need another team that needs because you have you have LSU, you still have Bama that's ahead of Penn State, right? Georgia has a tough matchup Georgia. against Texas A and M this week. Yeah, but Texas A and M is not ranked. No, um, and you have Clemson, and so there are still teams that they're going to have to deal with and things that they won't be able to control to get into it. But they have to win against Ohio State in Columbus, and then they're going to have to win the Big Ten championship. Big game on the local schedule, Cincinnati Temple. Uh, they continue to 
to play good ball, Jeff. It it really has. I mean, if you go back five years, six years, Temple was what a laughing stock of of college football. They couldn't find a conference to be in at the time, and now look at them as they've gone through three coaches and they don't miss a beat. No. It really is impressive what they've done and what the coaches and what the, what the, what the entire athletic department has done to continue to do this. So now I'm going to ask you to I'm going to put you on the spot. Do they deserve their own stadium? Oh, I don't. Oh, you didn't see that one coming. No, I did didn't you? see that one coming. I, I think, say yes. I, I think, think whether they deserve it is different whether than whether the one gets built. Because whether one gets built is politics. Whether they deserve it, well, is based so that's on you, that, Mr. Politics. You're talking about taking a lot of people's homes to build a stadium, and that's very. I don't, I don't think you're. I don't. Climate. I don't think you have to take a lot of people's homes. I think that's a challenging situation. We're in the last minute, Jeff. You got to pick this week for Eagles Seahawks. 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 Yeah, I'll be there. State of the Eagles. Uh, and they were by the, and by, out of the 8 p.m. time slot. Into what does the 1 that say, though? I don't think that the Green Bay game <laughs> is that much wants better. To see this team in prime time. Yeah, but it makes that makes no sense. I mean, the, the Seahawks are still one of the best teams in the NFL. The Eagles are still in the playoff hunt now. They have to make it. The Eagles can lose to the Seahawks, and if they win their other games against teams with losing records, their game against Dallas will be the one that right. They can they can only make it in by winning the division at yeah, this point. That's that's where they are. So I'm just happy that it was flexed out because. Because as someone who's going, it'll be much warmer during the day than at eight twenty at night. Good job on you and the Phillies for raising money for Covenant House and homelessness. We'll talk more about that on next week's show. More about your experience. And thank you to there. everybody that donated to this amazing cause. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>